Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. You may have seen this on social media uh, a day or two ago, but here's an update. And now that we know everything's cool, Howard was being kind of um, naughty. Howard, of course the dog that we just adopted. Yes, we had had Howard for 18 days before he had to make a trek to the emergency vet. Yeah, he, uh, we had been out running errands. We were out for maybe four or five hours. We came back. What had happened was he had managed to somehow concoct some sort of uh, climbing apparatus and uh, get up on top of the kitchen island. Where we were storing his meds and Haggis's meds, and he pulled down uh, the the medicine bottles, uh, busted them open, chewed through the medicine bottles, and consumed 14 times his daily allowance of painkillers. Yeah, I'm concerned he has a problem. I blame Big Pharma for this. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Big Pharma. Yeah, we're we're going to have to get him into treatment, I think. Um, we took him to the emergency vet and they were concerned because they could not pump his stomach. It had been too long. Yeah. And he uh, was in danger of renal failure. So they did like a charcoal flush thing and gave him lots of fluids and they kept him. We still don't have him back. And so that they said that he's doing really well and we can pick him up tonight right. after 10. And um, yeah, I guess the, the thing is that they've just keep they have to keep checking his blood levels to make sure that he's not going into kidney failure. And this is going to go on for a little bit. Thanks to the emergency vet clinic. Oviedo Veterinary Clinic and Emergency Care. They've been so great. So great. So helpful. Unlike the animal poison control line that we called. <laughs> 
Yeah. I was advised to call the Animal Poison Control Center. I called and we went over the meds that he got and how many and so on and so forth. And then um, before they would give me a case number, I had to give them $65. That just blows my mind. We were talking with the inner circle of freaks on Patreon, and I said, it's like they might as well have just held a loaded pistol to the head of your puppy and said, give me $65. Yeah, well, I think it's one of those things where... All right. Well, if if we're not paying for it, then who is? So is it something that becomes then a nonprofit? Is it something that other people have to fund? Like, how does that work? I think rather than complain about it, we figure out what the problem is and why it's not free and move forward from there. But I have another project in mind anyway, so that's really on the back burner. I I was so blown away by how sweet some of these vets and vet techs were and how at ease they put us. And it just was a wonderful experience. I mean, it was terrible, obviously, but they made it as good as they could. And so I'm hoping that we can come up with some sort of thing that we can do for vet techs or Mm. vets or a I know that they're, you know, overtaxed and having a really hard time and dealing with emergencies day in and day out. It's got to be so much. And I don't know. I just I feel like more of us should be bringing them things that are nice, especially at a uh, an emergency vet Mm. clinic, because uh, the intakes, you never know what you're going to get. And they're always the worst of the worst. And yeah, I think that's a great idea. We'll we'll work on that and uh, we'll let you guys know. Uh, how you can help if you want to. Do you have a story for me? Well, there's an old saying that uh, that says, where there's a demand, a way will be found. Sure. Or, necessity is the mother of invention. Right. Here's a very creative use of that. For nearly two decades after World War II, the Soviet Union strictly censored all forms of art. Not just art within the borders, but especially art from not within the borders. The Communist uh, Party tightly restricted music, especially. Oh, okay. Oh, music was bad. Yep. Especially back in Cold War Soviet Union. Genres from the West like jazz and boogie-woogie and, of course, rock and roll, that was just exploding in society. Mm -hmm. But it was deemed threatening to the political order in the Soviet Union. As well as the town in Footloose. Exactly what I'm getting at. Uh, They were strictly banned on public airwaves. Forget about getting any kind of jazz or rock and roll played on the public airwaves in the Soviet Union during the Cold War. But the ban on Western music wasn't just regulated to the radio stations and the public airwaves. It also affected private listening. You couldn't own these albums. You couldn't have them. You couldn't listen to them in the privacy of your own home. Western music was for the most part, prohibited in the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Wow. I did not know this. Of course, the Cold War coincided with the 50s and 60s, and there was a huge explosion of music creativity in, in all kinds of genres. Why was it called the Cold War? I think it was it was because neither the Soviet Union nor the United States officially declared war, but there were a lot of hostilities. So it wasn't a hot war. No. It was a cold war. Right. We because gave him the cold shoulder. It wasn't hot. So whether it was jazz or blues or rock and roll or soul music, uh, the entire world was swept up in what was becoming a huge musical 
evolution and revolution. Right. Except in the Soviet Union. It was nearly impossible to find any recordings from the West. And if you had any, you certainly didn't want to tell anybody that you had them because, you know, they'd send you to a gulag or something. I still picture goulash when I say that word. (laughs) They'd send you to chop suey. Which, when I was a kid in our house, those two dishes were interchangeable, were which they? I find cuckoo bananas. <laughs> when really it was just whatever was left over in the fridge. Pretty much. And mixed up. So you couldn't get your hands on any Western music. Uh, you couldn't listen to Western music. And in many ways, the prohibition created an even greater demand because it was, you know, the forbidden fruit. Sure. Especially when it came to jazz and rock and roll. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be in the Soviet Union in the mid-60s when the Beatles hit and everybody, you you know, the whole world is, you're hearing little things coming in about this band that is changing not only music, Mm. but fashion and culture and society and the whole world is going nuts and you can't listen to it. That sounds terrible, but it would be even worse if it was just Paul McCartney's solo stuff. <laughs> when, when jazz in the 50s was considered to be like the hippest genre or hepist at the time, right. genre of, uh, of music, you couldn't listen to it in the Soviet Union. There, just, they, there weren't any vinyl albums available. So how did they get access to it? How did you clandestinely listen? (laughs) Well, there were a couple of ways. Uh, One was like armed forces radio. The U.S. was beaming jazz into the Soviet Union (laughs) 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 to disrupt things. And uh, and a lot of uh, people would find ways to record these uh, broadcasts, and then they would share the recordings. I just think that's hilarious. We'll show you. Here's some jazz flute. And then there were some vinyl albums that were smuggled in, but uh, that was extremely dangerous and pretty expensive, too, and nearly downright impossible. It just wasn't worth the risk. As the Cold War picked up, even though there was this huge vinyl lockdown in the Soviet Union, there was a subculture of Soviet teens that emerged. They were known as Stilyagi or style hunters. These were young people that were mostly in their teens and 20s. And according to Smithsonian Magazine, they they would stand out because they wore trendy, colorful, often loud clothing. Okay. This was their way of rebellion. Uh, They were also very hungry for the latest Western Europe uh, or United States music trends. And certainly you couldn't burn a CD or make a playlist on Spotify. Uh, (laughs) These style hunters took huge risks to bring Western music to the Soviet population. And again, they're kids. They're in their teens for the most part. Now, this was post-World War II, and many different types of industrial materials were very scarce or difficult to get a hold of, and vinyl was certainly one of them, just the raw material. Oh, okay. And then a 19-year-old sound engineer from Leningrad named Ruslan Bogoslowski He met a Polish man who had illegally smuggled in a machine that could uh, make audio recordings. He smuggled it into the country. Mm -hmm. It actually would uh, cut the vinyl. Oh, okay, cool. I would like to watch a how it's made about vinyl records. Oh, it's fascinating. I think that would be really interesting. It's really fascinating. Plus, within it, I'm sure we're going to hear the word extruder. Oh, it's a good word. I know, I love that word. So, Ruslan used this man's machine to bootleg some music. And as he was doing that, he's looking at the machine and he's like, yeah, maybe I can build one of those myself. Mm -hmm. And he did. 
he built himself a record-cutting machine. Wow. Probably out of old Soviet tank parts and stuff like that. When they tested the machine out, it worked perfectly. Wow. But again, vinyl was nearly impossible to find. In fact, all petroleum products were in extremely short supply after World War II. Not just in, in the Soviet Union, pretty much everywhere, but especially in the Soviet Union. So he had to find another way. Like another material that he could use? Yeah. Like, could you use a potato? I don't know if you could use a potato. Could you use vodka? You can't use vodka for cutting a record, but after a couple shots, you don't really care. You'll listen to anything. I don't know. It's helped me cut a rug a time or two. <laughs> Please don't leave me. So one afternoon, Bogoslavsky was taking out the trash. And near the trash bin, he found a huge pile of old medical x-rays that had been thrown out. The material that x-rays were made from were very flammable. It was very, very flammable. Oh, okay. And so after one year in storage, the law was you had to get rid of them. Plus, it, it freed up room for more storage for sure, other, sure, sure. other x-rays. So I guess their way of prohibiting these extremely flammable materials from causing any, any issues was to just throw them in the trash. I think that would be a cool find anyway. Oh, like, I'd definitely take those home. Right? I'd frame them. I'd put a little light box behind them. Oh, it'd be awesome. I'd do a whole wall in x-rays. Wouldn't that be cool? It'd be so cool. So he's looking at these x-rays and... And the idea struck him, maybe I can test out the materials that that's made out of as a substitute for vinyl in making bootlegs. Oh, because it's kind of, it's got some strength to it. It's kind yeah. of like whoop, whoop. Yeah. It does that whoopy whoop. So he tried out recording some music on an old x-ray and hey, it turned out it worked pretty well. Wow. So this was an exciting development because unlike vinyl, he felt he could get a hold of all kinds of discarded x-rays quite easily. So he went on a dumpster diving expedition. He would rummage through trash bins, and he even went as far as one point to contact hospital employees and bribe them for oh. their old x-rays. Don't throw them out. I'll give you something, and you give me... I'll haul them away for you. Over the next 20 years, he would go on to bootleg music onto x-ray film and distribute them via the black market. These recordings became known as bone music, that's so cool. Also, music on ribs, or jazz on bones, or just simply ribs. It's kind of like the code word for them, because these were illegal as fuck. Right. I really, really would like to see one of these, please. That would be cool to have some. I bet it's a huge collector's item. It sure, I'm sure it is. These bone records were extremely crude compared to authentic vinyl records. The quality of the sound wasn't that great, and you could only record on one side because they were so thin. Sure. Uh, they would take the x-rays and they would, here's how they would do it. They would take the x-rays and they would cut them in a circle by hand, mm -hmm. and then the spindle hole in the middle, yeah. they would burn with a lit cigarette to make the center. <laughs> the thing is, these bone re records were incredibly affordable and they were easy to mass produce. It would cost only about one ruble, and when you compared that to vinyl that had been smuggled into the uh, black market behind the Iron Curtain, um, it was as much as five rubles. So that was a huge difference in those sure. days. Artemy Trotsky 
in his book, Back in the USSR, the true story of rock in Russia, said, quote, often these records held surprises for the buyer. Let's say a few seconds of American rock and roll, and then a mocking voice in Russian would ask you, so you thought you'd like to listen to the latest sounds, <laughs> followed by a few verses addressed to the fans in stylish rhythms and then silence. Mm. Really, it was like a Cold War era mixtape. Bone Records or X-Ray Presses is another way they referred to them, started popping up all over the Soviet Union. And of course, the government was concerned about sure. this because it was spreading subversive Western music throughout the country. It wasn't until the end of the 50s that the authorities caught on to what was going on. That's when Jazz on Ribs records were banned. It was about 1958. Soviet government infiltrated and busted up the Western music black market and bootlegging organizations. They arrested Bogowalski and sentenced him to five years in Siberia. Oh, wow. For his rebellion. They then mounted a campaign to encourage Soviet teens to watch out for their friends who share illegal records. <laughs> they had a saying for their campaign, the Soviets did. It, it was... They listen to jazz records today. They betray the motherland tomorrow. Oh, man. It's very the anti-piracy campaigns that went on in the late 90s. <laughs> you wouldn't steal a policeman's cap. And then go to the toilet in it and then mail it to the policeman's widow. But even after this, the trade of existing rib music records continued a number of years under the table. But the loosening restrictions of music as well as the availability and popularity of reel-to-reel -reel tapes in the 1960s made rib music obsolete. There was still a black market for Western music going on, but it had shifted more to reel-to-reel -reel recorders right. as opposed to these X-ray records. Even bootleg technology moves faster than we want it to sometimes. Even though he spent five years in prison for his rebellion, over the course of 20 years, Ruslan Bogoslavsky made and distributed nearly one million bootleg bone records by him. Wow. Everything from classical to Chuck Berry. And even though these were cheaply made out of thin and potentially flammable material, some do survive to this day. Would you like to hear one? Yes, please. Now, you had mentioned they're probably collector's items. I'm sure they are. I don't know what the value of them would be. But there are still a handful of them out there. I also, during my research, I came across a list of bands that were banned from the Soviet Union more recently in uh, 1985. And they also listed the reason why they're being banned. Okay. Black Sabbath. The reason? Violence and religious obstructionism. Alice Cooper was banned for violence and vandalism. Oh, my. Nazareth. The band that did Love Hurts. What? Yeah. Religious mysticism. Scorpions for violence. Pink Floyd for interfering with the foreign policy of the USSR. <laughs> oh, because the wall. Yeah, the wall must have been it. The Talking Heads. No. Myth of Soviet military danger. The B-52s. The reason? Punk. <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's. You know what? We don't care for this. And finally, uh, there's many, many more, but I'll end with this one. Actually, I'm going to give you a couple more. Julio Iglesias for neo-fascism. <laughs> <laughs> 
and Band for Violence, The Village People. So there you go. What? Yeah, how about that? Because of Macho Man? My source material uh, for this episode, Smithsonian Magazine, Earthly Mission, Wikipedia, Eon.com, Time Magazine, and Artrami Troitsky's book, Back in the USSR, The True Story of Rock in Russia. So much fun. Bone Records. And now, that thing in the middle. It was Christmas, 1995, and a woman in Sweden was preparing Christmas dinner. As she did, she somehow lost her wedding ring. She looked for it everywhere. She even went as far as to pull up the floorboards hoping she could find it, but to no avail. And then 16 years later, she was gardening, and while pulling up carrots, she found her ring with a carrot sprouting through the middle of it. The only explanation she could think of was that the ring must have gotten lost in the vegetable peelings that were turned into compost, creating perhaps the first one-carat ring. The only podcast endorsed by the Box of Oddities Freaks social medias. Betcha that's no coincidence. This is the Box of Oddities. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, 
it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This email just came in. It cracked me up. It came in from Ashley. Uh, Kat and Jethro, love the podcast. I went on a little road trip recently with my husband. I had not yet caught up on all the Boo episodes, so I asked if he would mind if I put a podcast on instead of music. I assured him that it was mostly not murder or ghost podcasts. (laughs) He then asked, what's it about then, dicks? (laughs) And I responded with, I can't guarantee it's not about dicks. End of story. We both listened to the box of oddities for the entire trip. I can't um, guarantee yeah. it's not about dicks. That would be a great positioning statement for the podcast. The box of oddities. We can't guarantee it's not going to be about dicks. That's our next t-shirt. Oh my God. I love it. <laughs> what you got going on in your little head? Zacharias Conrad von Uffenbach was traveling about Bremen, and he was writing about his visit in 1710. Uffen what? Uffenbach. I love that name. Yeah. He said, we saw a little duodecimo called Maleri Manuel Preparianos ad Mortem. There seemed to be nothing remarkable about it. And you couldn't understand why it was here until you read in the front that it was bound in human leather. This unusual binding, the like of which I had never seen before, seemed especially well adapted to this book, dedicated to more meditation about death. You would take it for pigskin. Wow. Just the thing to brighten up your den. Anthropodermic bibliopathy is the practice of binding books in human skin. I didn't know. I mean, I'd heard stories about certain books that had been, but this was a thing? Like it was an industry? This was a thing. Recently, Houghton Library, Harvard's rare book repository, confirmed one of its books was bound in human skin. Wow. Tests revealed that the Houghton Library's copy of Usea's Destinies of the Soul is without a doubt bound in human skin. 
In the mid-1880s, Usaya presented his book, A Meditation on the Soul and Life After Death, to a friend, a noted doctor and prominent bibliophile. And inside the book is written a note. Translated, it says, This book is bound in human skin parchment, on which no ornament has been stamped to preserve its elegance. By looking carefully, you easily distinguish the pores of the skin. A book about the human soul deserved to have a human covering. I had kept this piece of human skin taken from the back of a woman. What? It is interesting to see the different aspects that change this skin according to the method of preparation to which it's subjected. Compare, for example, with the small volume I have in my library. <laughs> Can we go back to the part where you said that he got it from the back of a woman? We're getting there. Okay. He then speaks of another book that he has, which is covered in human skin, but tanned with sumac. That's tasteful. Apparently, the woman whose skin it was taken from had died of a stroke. He was a doctor, so she died. She wasn't using it anymore. And back then, you could just take shit without family's permission. Yeah, there wasn't a big thing about bodily autonomy uh, after death. Okay. Harvard had known about the supposed origin of the book's binding long before, but it wasn't until 2014 that it was confirmed with 99.9% .9 confidence to be human skin. To investigate the binding's origin, Harvard researchers analyzed peptides within a sample to identify proteins, and that allowed them to rule out just about everything but certain primates. Samples were then analyzed further to see how the peptides were constructed, and that allowed the researchers to rule out pretty much everything but human origin for the binding. You know what would be really cool is if they could extract the DNA from that mm. and then bring that person back to life and then have that person do a dramatic reading of the book and put it on pay-per-view. Mm, yeah. I'm always thinking. I'm an idea guy. This practice was not terribly uncommon, and it's occurred at least since the 16th century. The confessions of criminals were occasionally bound in the skin of the convicted. Whoa. Or an individual might request to be memorialized for family or loved ones in the form of a book. As of May 2019, the Anthropodermic Book Project has examined 31 out of 50 books in public institutions supposed to have anthropodermic bindings. Using the scientific process of peptide mass fingerprinting, uh, which uses unique peptide markers in the collagen of each animal family to determine the leather source, and 13 have been demonstrated to be animal leather. 18 have been confirmed as human. Wow. An example owned by the Bristol Record Office is made from the skin of the first man to be hanged at Bristol Gowl. The book contains the details of the 1821 crime when a man named Horwood, who was obsessed with a girl named Balsam, threw a stone at her while she was walking to a well to fetch water. Following his trial and execution, his corpse was dissected. And then the guy who did the dissection decided to have part of his skin tanned to bind a collection of papers about the case. The cover of the book was embossed with a skull and crossbones with the words, the actual skin of John Horwood. Another skin book is bound with the skin of William Burke. Oh, yeah, the Burke and Hare guy. That's exactly right. Yeah, the grave robbers. Yeah, so rather than dig up corpses to sell to the Edinburgh Anatomy School, 
Burke and Hare began killing people instead and then selling their bodies. Yeah, they were just hurrying the process along. They actually were able to sell more than 15 bodies before they were discovered. Holy crap. I read an account of this and they would prey mostly on uh, sex workers and the elderly and impoverished people. So the cover of a small brown pocketbook, which has no pages, but ideally would have been used for like notes and money and stuff, is stamped with the execution of Burke in 1829. The book now lives at the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh's museum. Not all the books that are bound with human skin, though, are crafted as a form of punishment or vengeance. Some seem to be kind of fetish items. There's a copy of Mademoiselle Girard, my wife, at Brown University. And it was a very controversial book that had La Dalla Bean themes. <laughs> uh-huh. And that was uh, bound in human skin. The Welcome Collection in London has a book on female virginity and reproductive organs, and that's bound in the skin of an unknown woman. But apparently it was a patient who died in the the doctor's care, the doctor Mm. who wrote the book. I see. And then other books bound in human skin seem to be some sort of memorialization. There's a book held at the Boston Athenaeum about career criminal James Allen, alias George Walton. And the light gray cover bears the Latin phrase, this book, well, it's in Latin, but that translates to, this book was bound in Walton's skin. Basically, before Allen died, or Walton died, he wanted his life story told to the people. He felt like he was forced into this life of being a criminal and that no one like stood up for him. And anyway, so he told the prison's warden and he asked him to write it down and then asked that enough of his skin be tanned to provide bindings for two copies of this memoir. So this book is all about him and his life and it's bound in his largest organ. I would be interested in reading that. Do they have a Kindle version that I don't have to hold? (laughs) I don't know. Now, there are lots of rumors about the French Revolution when a number of copies of the French Constitution were supposedly bound in the skin of those who are opposed to the new republic. I feel, though, like the Constitution laying out the rights of individuals being bound in the skin of individuals (laughs) Mm. is a little unsettlingly ironic. Yeah, some mixed messaging there. Yeah. The thing is, it's really hard to tell. There are plenty of books out there that are reported to be covered in skin, which most likely aren't. And there are others that are most likely covered in human skin, but we don't know about it. And they could just be out there on your bookshelf right now. I wonder if there's any kids' books that are bound in human skin. Ew. Curious George in the black market human organ trafficking ring. I got most of my information from BBC, NBC, The The Verge, Wikipedia, of course, Vice, Laugham's Quarterly, Atlas Obscura, and Harvard Blogs. See, I'm all for binding books in human skin if the person has said that they want that done. Right. You know, and they're dead because that would be weird otherwise. Right. But I don't think I'd want a book bound in my skin, but maybe a jaunty driving cap made out of it. Like a necro cap. No, thank you. 
Thanks again for those of you who are supporting us on Patreon. Debbie and Kristen are our newest patrons. The newest members of the Order of Freaks. If you would like to join us, theboxofoddities.com is where you can find the link. You get uh, ad-free episodes. You get stuff like uh, a bonus episode. Uh, We released the video show of our New York performance, and I use performance in a very (laughs) relative loose term, Um, and uh, they have access to it right now. So if you're interested, we'd love to have you, and we appreciate you so much. Wanted to remind you also that we are coming up on the uh, U.S. Thanksgiving Day, and we are not releasing a new show on that day. Yeah, not releasing a show this coming Thursday because it is uh, Thanksgiving here in the U.S., so there's nothing wrong necessarily with your podcast app, Um, although we've had some issues (laughs) this past couple of weeks with CastBox. They moved us to a different server, and so some people aren't getting updated episodes um you need to if you if you listen on Castbox, you would need to go and like resubscribe subscribe to us which is we hate that also iHeartRadio was not updating yeah. so uh, we're looking into it yeah. not sure why it's happening um but if you listen on those platforms or any other platform just just pop in make sure you're still subscribed i guess we are available on all major platforms including amazon music We're looking forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.